So if you would turn to the New Testament and the Gospel according to Luke, Luke chapter 1. If anybody needs a Bible, just stay where you're at, just raise your hand. Ron will bring you a Bible, and we will read along together. Well, just a couple nights ago, Julie and I were driving through our neighborhood one night to look at all the Christmas lights on all the houses. Uh, that's what we do. I don't know if you do that, uh, but uh, we, we love driving around and seeing what our neighbors have done uh, with, their, with their houses. They're, we live in a neighborhood of about 200 houses, and there's, a, there's actually a contest uh, for, uh, you know, who, dis, who, de, who, who decorates their house in various ways, most traditional, you know, most Griswold-like, uh, you know, best lights, uh, things like that. And so we enjoy, we enjoy going through and seeing what neighbors have done uh, to try to bring joy to one another. Uh, we, uh, uh, you know, we, I grew up on that kind of stuff. I grew up with the family driving around neighborhoods looking at Christmas lights. So I was the youngest of six kids, so you have to imagine uh, mom and dad in the front seat, six kids. So there's eight people packed into a, you know, a 64 uh, Chevy station wagon. And since I'm the little one, you know, I'm sitting on the hump in the middle on the back seat. I can't really see out too well because I've got bigger brothers and sisters around me. You know, and then, and then all of a sudden one of them would say, oh, there's Santa, you know, as they, as they crane their neck to try to, you know, kind of look up, uh, look out the window. And I'm, of course, I want to see, I want to see, but they won't let me see. And I can't see because I'm in the middle. And, you know, it was, it was fun and frustrating and, and silly all at the same time. You know, when we drive around and looking at lights, uh, there's, uh, I was looking at one in particular. There was, uh, there was the word joy in this big front yard. It's one, of those, it's one of those things you plug in and it inflates, you know? And it's just the word, three letters, J-O-Y, joy, you know, about, about four feet tall in this front yard. And I was like, that's right. Everybody wants joy at Christmas. Now, there are two kinds of people uh, who decorate for Christmas. It's those... Uh, who decorate with these blow-up things that you buy at Lowe's and Home Depot, and there are the, the normal people who understand that that's completely cheating. Uh, but nonetheless, I appreciated the word joy in the front yard. And uh, everyone, Christian and non-Christian, believes that Christmas should be a reason for joy. It's why we sing, even outside of the church. Oh yes, we need a little Christmas, Right this very minute. Why do we need it so urgently? Because there's so much lack of joy around us. We need Christmas joy right now. After all, it is the most wonderful time of the year. People will tell you that. People will sing the song. It's why we dream of a right Christmas with every Christmas card we write. Because we're trying to spread a little joy with a Christmas card. And it's why we sing, have yourself a merry little Christmas. Because from now on, your troubles will be out of sight. And instead, there will be joy at Christmas. Everybody, I don't care who they are, wants Christmas joy. So we need to define our terms a little bit. What is joy? Well, it's a, it's a sense of pleasure, happiness, gladness, or delight. It's, it's, it's exactly what you thought it was. It's what issues forth when we're very pleased and delighted and glad-hearted. So Christmas joy is, and I'll just mash those words together, it's the pleasing gladness and the happy delight we want at Christmas time. I put to you that there are two basic types of Christmas joy. The first is the happiness we experience in our celebration of Christmas traditions, like decorations, family gatherings, 
family meals, the exchanging of gifts, making the extra effort to do these things for the purpose of experiencing joy at Christmas. You you might refer to that as the, the secular or cultural kind of Christmas joy. I like those things. I was raised with those traditions. I don't think there's anything wrong with those things in and of themselves. Every culture has shared experiences. Western culture, where we live, shared the experience of Christmas. And we've shared it with other cultures. I remember when I used to travel to China a little bit more regularly, and I was surprised to see, guess who? Guess whose face plastered over every storefront in the city that we visited in China? Santa Claus. The Chinese celebrate Christmas with Santa Claus in red and green colors and streamers. Which points to something about Christmas that you already know. As a cultural holiday, Christmas is celebrated by believers and non-believers alike. And in our capitalist society, that always leads to commercialization. That's not a problem with capitalism. That's what capitalism does well. No, it's just the nature and the reality of Christmas in its cultural holiday form. People can make of it anything they want. I am not going to stand here and slam Christmas traditions this morning. That's just too easy, right? It's just too easy. And in the back of our minds, most of us, if not all of us, sort of like them anyway, and do some of them anyway. And so it's not really helpful to just set up a straw man and knock him down. I want to address us in reality. I'm saying that when we, with the very best of intentions and the best of planning and execution, even our very best Christmas holiday seasons produce only an earthly joy, a quickly passing joy, even when done well. The best evidence of that is the post-holiday letdown that always follows. There's, there's all the build-up, and then there's all the excitement, and then there's like crickets. Where'd everybody go? Where's, where's all that joyful feeling? Where's all the, where's all the hugs and, and gifts, you know? You just you throw the wrappers away, and, and everybody's gone. I am not against trying, though. I think we should try to celebrate joy. There's nothing wrong with enjoying our earthly blessings, is there? And celebrating our shared traditions, as long as we know what they are and have them in the right place. I am not Ebenezer Scrooge with a message of bah humbug. I am a preacher with a message that is good news. And that is that there is a second type of Christmas joy. It is the foundational Christmas joy, that all of the cultural celebrations of Christmas are somehow or in some way derived from. It does have to do with blessings. They're eternal blessings. But it produces real joy, deep-seated joy, and lasting joy. It's the joy that everyone we know once for Christmas, even if they don't know what it is and have already dismissed 
its source. It is not a joy you can manufacture. It's also not stuck in a container ship in Los Angeles Harbor. It's not a joy you can purchase online with free delivery. It's also not out of reach because of rising inflation. This joy comes to those who are blessed by God. True Christmas joy is a gift from God that follows the gifts of God's blessings. Joy comes from receiving. That's why you can't just manufacture joy. You first have to receive something, and then joy issues forth from it. And like God himself, his blessings bring soul-deep gladness and eternal pleasure that can never be taken away. So let me just ask you a simple question. Do you want happiness and pleasure, gladness and delight for Christmas? You would be insane to say no. Everybody wants that. Do you want this real joy deep down in your heart to stay? Because the Christmas joy that God gives is not limited to just Christmas. It's like the gift that keeps on giving. It's forever joy. As the Mary, the mother of Jesus, sings a song about in our passage this morning. Look at Luke chapter 1. I'll begin reading in verse 39 through verse 56. This is the word of God. In those day, Mary, days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked down on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. If you want to take your sermon outline and follow along with me, and you'll, I'll let you read the sermon theme there. Uh, but we are looking first at, in verse 39, Elizabeth being granted joy 
from God. We see it. We can't miss it. This Christmas Eve, we'll look more directly at Jesus' birth, but right now, this morning, I'm assuming that you're familiar with the basics of the Christmas narrative. And Elizabeth first receives Mary and Jesus. Now, this is Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's just walked about two to three days' journey from her home in Bethlehem to be with Elizabeth, who is her cousin. Both women are pregnant, and both pregnancies are a miracle of God but in two different ways. Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah are in their very old age, past childbearing years, and Elizabeth has been barren her whole life. But God opened her womb, and even in their very old age, they conceived a son. That's a miracle. And it's the miracle reminiscent of Abraham and Sarah receiving Isaac. And their son is John the Baptist. He is the promised forerunner of the Messiah who will herald or cry out the Messiah's coming, Jesus' coming. The virgin birth is a very different miracle. Mary is a virgin and remained a virgin even as she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit just as the angel had foretold. And the baby in her womb is Jesus, the Son of God, incarnate. Deity made flesh. This is the miracle of the virgin birth. And Jesus is the promised Messiah, long awaited by his people, Israel. And we have this incredibly heartwarming meeting between Mary and Elizabeth that holds within it a significant, unrepeatable, theologically historical event. You see, God has on earth brought together his two major players in his plan of redemption. Jesus, who is the Messiah, and John the Baptist, whom God has sent to announce the Messiah. Mary and Elizabeth were both godly women. Mary is probably just about a 14-year-old girl, while Elizabeth is in her 80s and the wife of a serving priest. So based on those criteria, it is Mary who should be honoring Elizabeth, her elder and her better. But that's not what happens at all. In the same way that John the Baptist will announce God's blessing in the coming of Jesus the Messiah, John's mother, Elizabeth, announces the blessing of God upon Mary, the mother of Jesus. So that what's highlighted in this passage is the blessings that God gives and the joy that follows. In fact, filled with the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth exclaimed with a loud cry, three blessings. First, that Mary is blessed among women. By the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth is granted to know and proclaim that among all women forever, Mary alone has been blessed in this particular way, to bear the Son of God. Now to understand this blessing, you have to understand that sex within marriage is a blessing of God. That pregnancy and childbearing is a blessing of God. That motherhood and children themselves are a blessing of God. That God-given life is a blessing of God. We don't take that knowledge for granted anymore. These blessings of God have to bring joy to married mothers, and they have forever. And they will continue to do so. When people see it differently than that, then the God-given joy is diminished or lost. But seen rightly, 
This blessing is the foundation for Elizabeth's claim that Mary is not only blessed, but has a unique blessing. Even among every woman who has been blessed in this way, Mary's blessing is magnified in that she will bear the very Son of God and call his name Jesus, the angel said. The second blessing Elizabeth announces is that Jesus himself, the fruit of Mary's womb, is blessed. And we know this to be true. Because the angel told Mary, just a few verses before, he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over all the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. It's because Jesus is the blessed Son of God that Mary is blessed to be his earthly mother. So with the Messiah and the mother of the Messiah visiting her in her home, Elizabeth declares that she is blessed. This is a special thing. She says, why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She's saying, I've been blessed by a visit from the Lord and from his mother. That's a blessing. But, but look at Elizabeth, who's received this great blessing. Genuinely humbled and genuinely rejoicing at the very same time. Here comes this great blessing to her, and she's humble and rejoicing in it. She has been granted true Christmas joy. And she has been filled with the true Christmas spirit. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And she discerns two things, doesn't she? She discerns that her baby, John, in her womb, was joyful. When Jesus, is Mary, when, when Jesus in Mary's womb entered the house where John in Elizabeth's womb lived, John leaped for joy inside of Elizabeth's womb. I think this is why the angel told Zechariah, John's father, that John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. It was prophesied just, just weeks before. And now it's come true. I'm going to say this. I'm going to try to say this so that it doesn't sound hokey. But I have to connect this to the main point. Baby John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb has been blessed by God to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God and he is joyful. If you believe Scripture, you must believe that Preborn baby John was blessed by God in the womb and that he responded with joy. Here's the true but hokey sounding part, maybe. That joy is the same Christmas joy that we've been talking about. And that has to make you think God is awesome. Surely, surely we can see that the only source of the joy everyone wants at Christmas is God. And that's the second thing that Elizabeth discerns. Elizabeth discerns that God has blessed Mary with faith in the promises of God. Mary had been told by the angel that all of this would happen. He said to her in verse 28 of chapter 1, Greetings, O favored one. 
the Lord is with you. And Mary responds in verse 38, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Angels are pretty impressive. In Scripture, they tend to leave a lasting impression on people. But it's not because of the angel that Mary believes. Elizabeth says, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Once again, God blessed Mary by giving her faith to believe God's word. Whether you read it as print in a Bible or it's spoken to you as a messenger from God, it's God's word that you're trusting. The words he spoke to her via his angelic messenger, she believed the words. She believed the promise. We don't need, nor should we expect, angels to deliver messages to us from God. We have God's word. Do you believe God's word? Because if you do, you will be blessed and you will have joy. This is an amazing passage. This is absolutely amazing. And, and it's revealing of our want at Christmas for joy. Already we see that God has a plan to bless the world. He has blessed Mary and Elizabeth specifically according to his plan. He has made and kept promises to them. And in making and keeping those promises, he's making and keeping promises to all of mankind. And they respond to God with joy. Even baby John is filled with the Holy Spirit and has joy in Christ. There's nothing dull here. There's nothing boring about this true historic event. You can't read this passage and sit on your hands and say, ho-hum. Trust me, this is more interesting than anything you have going on this Christmas season. This is the incarnation. God has been made flesh, and the people involved are blessed with joy. This is what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. It's a cultural reference. If you don't know, ask your neighbor after the service. This is what Christmas is all about. And in a loud voice, Elizabeth is exclaiming God's blessings and responding to God what is done and what he has promised to do with pure joy. And then Mary chimes in with her own rejoicing in verse 46 down to 55. You know, as soon as you look at those verses, look at verses 46 to 55 in your Bible. As soon as you look at those verses, we know they're not like the verses that came before, and they're not like the verses that happen afterwards. They look different in our Bibles, spaced and indented differently. They're not written in prose. What comes before it is prose. It goes from margin to margin, solid words. This is written in poetic verse. How do you like poetry? How do you like poetry? Read any recently? How about when you're in school? Did you like poetry when the teacher said, we're going to read some poetry today? How do you do with poetry? Do you read much poetry? Do you and poetry get along well? You see, poetry is different. We were reading narrative, now we're reading poetry. Poetry is a genre of writing that has a purpose. You need to know what its purpose is. 
Poets don't write poetry just to convey facts that are true. They write poetry to make you feel what is true. They use metaphors and descriptions and illustrations designed to drive through your mind and deep into your heart and soul. That's where they want things to land. This section is called in Latin the Magnificat for Mary's song to magnify her joy in God. And this poetry is like song lyrics. I mean, why do you, why do you listen to a song instead of reading a newspaper article? Because it not only fills your minds, but it saturates your soul and your spirit with what it is to be blessed. What's in the song? This, this is written as a song in lyric and verse so that it would communicate to you deep in your soul what it's like to be blessed by God and to take joy in Him. She's guiding us from realizing the ways that God has blessed us to taking joy not only in them, but in Him who has given them to us. When God's blessing lodges down in our affections, then joy results. So listen to her song again, beginning in verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God who is my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and his name is holy and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation he has shown strength with his arm he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts he has brought down the mighty from their thrones he has exalted those of humble estate he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary's soul magnifies the Lord. And I, and I think we take that in a passive sense. God has blessed her soul, and now her soul makes apparent that blessing, magnifies it, makes much of it, makes it visible, makes it manifest. She doesn't have to do anything to make the blessing. She just wears the blessing in her soul. And she lives out God's blessing upon her as the mother of Jesus. That blessing is magnified. Mary's spirit rejoices in God, her Savior, and I think in an active voice. Having recognized God's blessing given to her, she takes joy in God, who has blessed her. She actively gives voice to her joy by praising God, who is her Savior, by writing a poem. Mary is already believing the words of God spoken to her by the angel, and she is already experiencing true Christmas joy. The son she will bear will bear her sins and fulfill God's promise of salvation by God's grace through faith. 
Mary and Elizabeth believe in God's promise of salvation by faith, and they're blessed to be a part of God's plan of redemption. Listen to Mary's words. Behold, I am, I am the servant of the Lord, in verse 18. God has looked upon the humble estate of his servant and blessed her, in verse 48. And so, she's filled with joy as a servant. Do you see how she connects the blessing of God with the joy of God? She says, I have been blessed beyond my estate, beyond anything I could imagine, to bear the very Son of God, the Savior of the world. She's been lifted up, but not to a place of privilege, but a place of service. She's joyful to be the willing servant of the Mighty One, the one whose name is holy, who has done great things for her. How about you? If God has blessed you in any way, ever, you have reason to take joy in Him. If you are lacking joy this Christmas, perhaps you have not properly recognized and valued God's blessings in your life. Maybe you're ho-hum because you just haven't noticed. Maybe you're not magnifying God's blessing to your soul by living out the blessing that he's given to you. It will be a hard and painful and sorrowful road for Mary as the mother of Jesus. But every step, her soul will magnify the Lord. How are you doing in your walk? to magnify the Lord's blessings in your life? Or, perhaps your spirit is not rejoicing in God your Savior. If he has lit a light in you, don't hide it under a bushel. Shine your light. Offer your worship. Live in obedience. You will not find joy in a lack of rejoicing, you will find joy in an abundance of rejoicing. And so rejoice in Christ your Savior. Of course, most of the people in the world don't have true Christmas joy because they do not know God as Mary and Elizabeth knew God. They were believers in the promises of God found in His Word. They believed the gospel of Jesus Christ that was unfolding in their very lives. That's what Mary is singing about in verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. We have to understand when we read mercy, justice and mercy always go together. Justice and mercy always go together. God, whose name is holy, is just according to his holy standard. But he is merciful to those who fear him. You see, it's a prompt to fear the just judgment of God on sinners and to turn to God for mercy through his promised son. Mary's writing you a poem about it while that son is in her womb about to give birth. Mary sings of her joy in a covenant-keeping God. That's what's pictured here. God has established justice for all and has promised mercy for those who will believe in the gospel for the forgiveness of their sins. As we read Ephesians, 
We're all dead in our trespasses and sins, but God has made us alive by shedding of his son's blood on the cross as a substitutionary payment for our sins. God's saving mercy is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, this baby, the one quietly hiding in Mary's womb while all of this is going on. He's the one we're rejoicing in. He is the joy giver at Christmas time because he is the blessing that comes at Christmas. He is the one who fulfills God's promised blessing. Verses 51 to 55, that's what, Mary is, that's what Mary is singing about and writing poetry about. Mary, at her young age, is devoted to God and has been raised in the truth and the knowledge of scriptures. As she composes her poem, she weaves powerful Old Testament imagery, particularly from the Psalms, which are also poetry, into a beautiful, joyful tapestry of God's justice and mercy. She's weaving a picture for you to see. With a strong arm, he scatters the proud in heart who do not fear him and brings down the earthly thrones that have risen against him. And those who have heaped up earthly riches have earned no place with him. They are sent away, empty-handed, away from his presence, away from his majesty, in dramatic contrast, this mighty and majestic God bends down to fill the hungry with good things. To help his own servants. He's a master who does that. He exalts and lifts up those of humble estate. The people who have nothing. Nothing to commend them. To those who fear him, he blesses them with mercy. Mary says, remember this promised mercy. It's the mercy that God promised long ago to Abraham. That's, that's the covenant that he's keeping. That's the basis for this promise being kept. It's the promise made long ago to Abraham and to the spiritual offspring of Abraham forever. In Genesis 12, beginning in verse 2, God said to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Gosh, there's a lot of blessing going on in here. I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you, I will curse. Then God adds this, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How is that going to happen? It's going to happen at Christmas time. You see, in Abraham's seed, in his descendant, the seed of the woman promised in Genesis 3.15, in Christ, all the blessings of God with which God will bless come through Christ. They come through this promise to Abraham. Only in Christ will you receive every spiritual blessing. This Christ who blesses with the blessings of God broke into the world through Mary's womb at his incarnation, at his first advent, at Christmas time. Mary's song is about the joy of having a covenant-keeping God. If you will receive Christ in repentance and faith, you will be blessed with mercy upon your sins.
your eternal destiny will be changed. And you will be filled with joy forever. That is the Christmas blessing that every person really needs and from it comes the true Christmas joy that everyone desires. Verse verse 56 is an interesting transition. Mary remained with her, Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. Mary stayed there in Elizabeth's house for three months, meditating on God's blessing, taking joy in the promised salvation of God and magnifying God by her faith in his word. And then she had to go back home and faithfully live out her life as a servant of God. We've been blessed. We've been blessed by God's word haven't we? We've been blessed by God's word, and like Mary, we should meditate on God's word. She was saturated in the word when the angel came and gave her grace to bear his son. Simply put, she was ready. She was ready with God's help. We need to be ready, and God will supply the help we need through the Spirit when we need it just as he did for Mary. We need to take joy in God's blessings, including the gospel we bear for the salvation of others. We have been blessed, we have been graced with this message. We bear the fruit of Mary's womb in the gospel message that we bear towards others. And just as Jesus was blessed, so is the good news. The good news we've been given to proclaim is blessed. It's anointed. It saves. And like Mary, we should magnify God as the saved souls that we are. As the one new man at peace with God and at peace with one another. And growing into the glory of his inheritance. Then Mary went home and lived out her faith with joy. We We again don't manufacture Christmas joys for just a few days a year, do we? In Christ, we have joy that never goes away. Not even in the hardest trials. But Christmas gives us a great opportunity to magnify and rejoice in our Savior before a desperate, longing, and expectant world. Because the culture carries out a form of Christmas, now's the opportunity to bring the real message and the real blessing and the real joy of Christmas to them. Don't be a Scrooge. This is a joyful passage. Don't be a Scrooge to your family. Don't recite poems about the glass half empty to your friends and your coworkers and your classmates. I know it's Christmas, but live joyfully in Christ. If you've been blessed by God, live joyfully in it. It's Christmas. Exclaim with a loud voice like Elizabeth, the blessings of God. 
in your life. Instead of grumbling that you hope more will show up under the tree. You might even go home and write, write poems. You might go home and write some song lyrics. Or at least, at least, tell others about the blessings of the mercy of God. And in your hearts, joyfully exalt Him above all the other things of Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we, Lord, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that deity, the Son of God, took on flesh and became God incarnate. That he lived a perfect life, died a sin-atoning death, rose in a life-giving resurrection. And that you bless those who would fear you, who would turn to you and repent of their sins with salvation and eternal joy. Father, we pray that we would be faithful to share this true Christmas joy with everyone we know. Father, that we would avoid the pitfall of being glum, weighed down by our winter circumstances, but that we would exalt you, magnify you, rejoice in you. For you are worthy. And this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.